The following podcast contains explicit language. This is YOY. I'm Andrea Salenzi. And before this show, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I used to produce a daily news show for Slate Magazine called The Gist and hosted by Mike Pesca. And it's still one of my favorite podcasts. Mike and I worked together on 500 episodes. So at this point, I know when the guy enjoys an interview, he'll kind of bound out of the studio with a boyish grin on his face and start repeating random facts and tidbits that he just learned to everyone around the office. And that's what he did after interviewing my guest today, Seth Stevens-Davidowitz. He's the author of the book, Everybody Lies, Big Data, New Data, and What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are. Mike Pesca put that book in my hand and he said, there's stuff in here about dating. So we booked Seth. And he came by to chat with our show about his new book. I, I always have had this sneaking suspicion that things aren't as they seem and that people are lying to me and that there's more to the story than I'm being told. So like when I said, I heard you on the gist with Mike Pesca and you sounded really good. You're like, oh, there's more to the story <laughs> that she's not telling no, me. Well, yeah, no, no. So <laughs> what happens is uh, we had this pre before the podcast, we had a brief conversation uh, and and Andrea's like, oh, I heard you on the Mike Pesca really liked you on the podcast. And I've recently had this experience where I was teaching a class at Warden and all the students came up to me and told me how much they loved me, how great the class was. And then I just got my evaluations and they were horrible. <laughs> and now I'm just in a panic because I, I feel like you can't trust anything anybody tells you. And they say people just say good job no matter how you d- did or say you look good. Uh, you sound good. You did a great job. Great speech. Great talk. We like this. We like that. And so you don't know what to believe. Yeah. And as a lady, it's like, oh, that's a cool dress. Are you saying that's a cool dress because it stands out to you because it's somehow abnormal? Or is it actually just a really cool dress? I actually so I, I've been on as part of my media blitz for this book. I've been on a bunch of YouTube videos and I started reading through the comments and some of them are really nasty. Like they're analyzing my face and like my the, my teeth are too yellow and my this to that. The nastiness, like it's really, really nasty, but it's not like out of nowhere. Like my teeth are too yellow. They're not just like making things up out of thin air. Like and I do um too much in my videos and I say uh too much. And so it's as mean as it is, it actually is helpful relative to just being told how great you are. Wouldn't that be ideal for our dating lives to be able to get feedback from people on our profiles, on our photos. Tinder has this feature now where it'll start showing your photos in different orders and then give you the data back about which are most successful and you can order your photos that way. Right. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, right. And well, that's dating's another one. Sometimes you'll be out on a date and it's just, I had a great time. I can't wait to hear from you again. And then you contact them. It's like no response. I'm like, wait, what what happened? Like, yeah, so. Words uh, aren't lining up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was on that quest for an objective truth that Seth was thrown into the arms of data science. I, I think I'm a little bit of a nosy uh, person and kind of a dark view of the world. And the, yeah, the idea that you can kind of write statistical studies analyzing the human psyche is really, really nice. When did you start to see more information become available for your kind of research? I found that Google Trends, which is the main source of data I've used, uh, was available in about uh, 2012, although I think it was available a little earlier than that. Uh, but it's just taking off more and more. This is just exploding all the things we can learn from internet data. 
Google Trends is this tool where you can type in any search term, and you can see an instant chart generated of that term's popularity going back to 2012. And that popularity is determined by worldwide Google searches. So here's a use case. If I type in OkCupid, you can see the popularity of that phrase in Google searches is sliding downwards. I could have guessed that. Tinder, if you type in Tinder, it climbs and then plateaus in about 2015. If I type in the phrase Bumble app, you can see some steady growth, but it's nowhere near as popular as OkCupid or Tinder. And this is fun to do, right? You can type in your name and your rival's name. You can type in your latest obsession and your worst fears. It's addictive. So the idea that you can kind of, from this data, be like, oh, wow, like, look at all these things that people aren't saying about who they really are. It's just perfect. For me, it's just like, wow, like, it's, it just blows my mind. It's, it feels so much more real than the fake world that I'm always being bombarded with. So, uh, yeah, that's the thrill. And Seth is full of these tidbits from his research, things that compare what we say on social media to what we say to Google. So I looked at the top five ways people describe their husbands. My husband is on social media. The top five ways they finish it. Uh, my husband is the best, my best friend, amazing, adorable, so cute. And then on Google, I think one of them also is amazing. So that one checks out. And the other four, my husband is, is my husband is gay, a jerk, so mean and annoying. Uh, so it's kind of interesting, the contrast. One, on social media, we're trying to impress your friends. You know, my husband is the best. And Google, when you're just by yourself, my husband is a jerk. And sometimes he looks at other sources of information, like the raw text of recorded speed dates. So I love the data could be this all-knowing Oz. And you write about a study of hundreds of heterosexual speed daters. And in that study, they found predictors about whether or not a first date would turn into a second date. What are those predictors? Yeah, so they, they basically brought each speed dater had a recorder uh, in their uh, attached to them. And then the computer scientists could analyze the words that they used and which words correlate with the man liking the woman, the woman liking the man, and ultimately there being a second date. And there are these key clues. Uh, so, for example, a woman, when they use hedge, what, what are called hedge words, so you know or maybe or probably, no matter on what topic they are, that's a sign a woman doesn't like a man. If she says, uh, do you want a, another drink? Maybe. Or are you cold? Kind of. She's not going out with you again. And when a woman talks about herself, that's a sign she likes you. So the most beautiful word to a man's ear on a first date is I. If a woman's talking about herself, she probably likes you. And then a man, when he likes a woman, he lowers his voice and talks in a monotone speech pattern. That's crazy. So they so they looked at the tapes really closely and they said he has a more of a vocal range when he doesn't like he's her. not interested. Yeah, and yeah. then he just like monotone. It just shows we're kind of almost an, we're basically animals. Just as any species does certain things just without even realizing it subconsciously to uh, show interest, human beings do the same thing. But you can pick those out in the data. Of course. That is the most annoying thing that guys could do. And so they're just like, yeah, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you think it's annoying, but they're actually saying that they like you. So a man, to get to get a woman to like him, he's supposed to show support. That must have been tough. That sounds hard. Not interrupt a woman constantly and laugh at her jokes. Laugh at her jokes. God, it's the worst. No one's laughing. <laughs> yeah. 
It's not rocket science, right? Wait, do girls laugh more at guys' jokes? When they like him. Also, guys asking questions of you. No, that's... So questions are a bad sign on a first date. You think that questions are a good thing because, oh, people are interested in each other. They're asking questions. But the more questions on a first date, the less likely there is to be a second date because it basically means that people are bored with each other. So when you're saying, do you have brothers and sisters? What do you major in? Like any of these things, they're signs of disinterest, lack of interest, inability to have a normal flowing conversation. Yeah, I think I had a date recently where it was like, oh, do you prefer Lonely Planet guides or uh, or photos, travel guides? It's <laughs> <laughs> horrible. Are you ever nervous <laughs> that one of these dates is going to hear your podcast and be humiliated? Uh, yeah, of course I do. And if that dude's listening, I am so sorry that we weren't able to have a normal flowing conversation. You know, dating's hard. And actually, according to that study, it did indicate your lack of interest in the second date. So I hope your summer's going well. Is it? How do you like living in the city? Do you have any cousins? Actually, you know what? I can just stop with these questions. Because I date men, the likelihood of a second date is totally out of my hands. There's very little a woman can do to increase her odds of a man liking her. It's almost all based on her physical appearance. But, but, but guys can do things to increase the chances a woman likes her. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, sometimes you learn depressing things in data. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not shocking at all. I mean, a but it's that, depressing. Yeah. But no, everyone says that, like, you know, in the first five seconds thing. But, but it's not true for a man. For, but it's not true for a man can actually increase his, his, uh, his odds a lot. But a woman, there's not much she can do. And then from there, you went on to look at research that says men and women just generally talk differently. And and that's based on some Facebook. Yeah, analysis language. of Facebook profiles. Some of the differences you see on social media are exaggerated because men don't want to say their feminine interests. So if a man likes The Bachelorette or girls on HBO, girls on HBO is more popular among men than women. But on Facebook, girls is three times more popular among women than men because men don't like saying they, they like to show girls. And men, like Katy Perry is really popular among men, but men don't put that on, on Facebook. So, Right, because our social media is a performed version yeah, exactly. of ourselves. Yeah. So That's why is. all the couples I know on social media, everything's going really well and yeah. seems really easy yeah. until she just disappears from the profile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a question I get all the time as someone who talks about dating. What if someone could create a computer that could find me my ideal match? It could go through all of his Facebook data, everything, his his whole biometrics. Porn, his porn consumption. His porn consumption, (laughs) yes, everything, and find me that ideal partner. Do you think that that computer could someday exist, that kind of processing? I I think think it could. So one of the things that you actually learn in porn data is the amount of variation in tastes among partners. So, like, the amount of men who are into overweight women or – so, like, more men are into skinny women, but there's a huge percentage of men who are more into overweight women than, than skinny women. But then there are men – but then hair color or height. There are women who search for short – just short guys or, or just fat guys or just short and fat guys or, like, all these different tastes are very, very real. So it does seem like there's an inefficiency in the dating market that – no matter what you look like, there are people for you, whom you're the most attractive person possible. There should be some sort of filter based on physical type, I feel like. 
So I was blown away. I opened up this dating app called Scruff. And what they have the guys do, it's it's a gay dating app, is identify their type. So you're a bear, you're an otter, you're a seal, which means you're hairless, you're athletic, you're a college boy, you're a boy next door. And then it'll tell me within the app who which type of guy the other guys are responding to the most. So you can kind of see like, oh, if I'm an otter and this guy only responds to seals, I don't have a good shot. And you don't waste your time trying to even message him. Couldn't you see this being an incredible asset for straight dating? Too? Uh, absolutely. I think in gay men, it's kind of acknowledged that there are types, the bears or whatever, the otters, seals, all these things. I think that that's also true in straight dating, but it's not really talked about as much. There's kind of just you're heterosexual and that's all that matters, but it's not true at all. I think an issue with straight dating that I find really, really interesting is... There are a lot of straight men who are in the closet, by which I mean, so if you define the closet as people act based on what's socially acceptable, not based on their desires. So like the traditional idea of the closet is a gay man who wants to be with men, but is with women for so, due to social reasons. I think there are a lot of men who have attractions that they don't act on or try to not act on because they're embarrassed about them, particularly, for example, a common one is the number of men who are into fat women is enormous. But you you frequently, I think these men try to date skinny women to impress their friends, even though they'd be happier dating fat women. Yeah, I wonder how much of my swiping is the guy I think I'm supposed to be bringing home versus the guy that I might actually want to bring home. Exactly. I think everyone has these pressures to like oppress their friends compared to their true attractions. And that's why- It would look better on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. And that's why porn, like the, the porn people watch can be very different from- uh, who they swipe. So would you trust that computer if it was like, boop, 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 perfect woman, we found her? <laughs> I, I I think data could probably do a better job than people could because I think we're horrible at this in predicting what will make us happy. If there was a real algorithm that compared someone's traits to whether they matched up and had a successful, happy relationship, I think that could do a much better job than than we could. All right, let's take a break. But when we get back, I'm going to ask my guest, Seth Stevens-Davidowitz, more about what he's learned from looking at porn. You know, the, the data. Okay, we're back. And as promised, we're going to be talking about porn. You know, but in a smart way. One of my kind of niches in life is I have very uh, respectable credentials. College at Stanford, master's at Harvard, work for Google, op-ed writer for The New York Times. But my interests are totally like in the gutter. But like that's a good combination because I can do it. And like if you write about porn in the New York Times, everyone's just like, oh, this is a serious, you know, this has the New York Times on it. They're vouching for it. And, you know, this isn't just some guy who's spending all day in his apartment analyzing <laughs> porn. <laughs> <laughs> but he kind of is. It's unbelievable the range of there are guys who just search for a woman with like huge nipples. Like that's all they search for. So like, yeah, so that like in an ideal world, uh-huh. your woman, dating app would know that about yeah, you. And, the, and they'd know the size of the woman's nipples and whether the man is a guy who only watches porn with big nipples and they won't waste anybody's time because you might go on three na- dates before you see the nipples and then you get there and you're like, oh, you're you're undateable. <laughs> yeah. And then and then you, I pictured a future with someone with big nipples. Yeah. And then, and then the woman gets rejected and is like, what the hell was wrong with me? Like. There, I don't know what he liked me so much. I, I thought, you know, like, is there something wrong with me? And all it is is you went, ran into a, a big nipple fetishist who nobody knew about. And that happens so much. I'm sure of it based on this data. I did encounter an OkCupid profile and the guy had under his interest 
side boobs. What's side that? boob? Oh, like on the you know, like when a little side boob yeah, comes I, out on the yeah. side. Yeah. Uh, and I he he we matched, and then I said, oh, I noticed on your interest that you like side boob. Just so you know, I never have side boob. <laughs> He didn't say a word back. I'm so glad we solved that without having to go on a uh, date. Yeah. And and if a guy on his profile said, oh, I like big nipples, nobody would be like, why are you saying this? Like, that's so, what what was wrong with you? Even the woman with big nipples would not respond to him, but maybe they should. Like, maybe how much inefficiency is there just based on not knowing people's sexual, unique sexual preferences? I guess we're supposed to treat these details like they're less important than what he does for a living and whether or not he liked Moonlight. Right. Yeah. Like So like so I think what you're saying in a dating profile, like one of the things that you're giving off is that you understand social norms, right? That you have the judgment. To... Yeah. To know what's appropriate to include in your profile and what's inappropriate. But uh, if the dating apps made you have like a public facing profile and a private facing profile, which is kind of what OkCupid has in their their questions. In the back, on OkCupid, yeah. you can click down to someone's yeah. uh, sex survey answers yeah. and start to learn more about them. But even those, I think they're full of lies. Yes. Like they're what they're like. Do you like giving oral sex? And like everyone just says, love it. Like favorite thing ever, all day, every day. <laughs> Do you think that'll work? Like five years into a marriage, where you're like, but you said OkCupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so one more important thing. I actually asked Seth, what's the one thing he can't stop repeating at dinner parties? Oh, definitely the breastfeeding, the Indian men breastfeeding. The number one search that my husband wants in India is my husband wants me to breastfeed him. And it's India nowhere else. And then porn in India, men watch porn of adult breastfeeding far more than any other country. And then if you look at how to breastfeed, like looking for advice on breastfeeding, if you look at the United States or just about any country, not surprisingly, it's about 99.9% breastfeeding your child. In India, it's about split between breastfeeding your kid and breastfeeding your husband. And what's really amazing about this is that nobody knows about it. I, I Googled it. It's like there, there's no stories on it. They interviewed some doctors, some Indian people. Nobody knows. It's not talked about. It's totally under the surface. But I'm 100 percent sure that there's a, a large number of Indian men who are being breastfed by their wives. So just like there can be a cultural zeitgeist where, you know, everyone discovers the same thing at the same moment, there can be like an underground cultural zeitgeist. Where Some, just... It's it's so weird. I don't know what caused It's like this is probably the number one thing on my bucket list at this point is figure out what caused this because, yes, yeah, something had to have happened. Yeah, there was like one viral video or one idea in a movie. I don't know. It's so something or maybe they breastfeed differently as kids and that, that this this creates the it's so weird. Huh. Yeah. That that because yeah, because if like people talked about it, then you could say, hey, you know, I'm just being breastfed by my wife. who was really cool. Like you might want to try it. And then like it would spread that way. But it seems like nobody talks about it. So how could it all at, at every book, like a yeah. huge number of men in one country develop the same desire without ever talking about it? I mean, I feel like that happens in our porn lives, too, right, where you notice some idea or like theme or type of video go somewhat viral on different sites, you know, and it's a thing that you're just observing in your private life. There's no one to talk about. But you're like, suddenly there's all these like stepmom videos. Why is this right, on exactly. every homepage? Yeah. Um, not that I, I don't know where I know that from. But you're like, what is going on at our, our cultural moment? It is really interesting that these desires can be without being talked about all 
develop in a huge number of people at the same time. So thinking of all of our horrible decision making, Google has told you a lot about the secret worries of married people. <laughs> Tell me about some of the things that, that married folks are Googling late at night. The main complaint that uh, married couples have is a sexless marriage by far, like far more common than loveless marriage or unhappy marriage or anything else. Uh, and the number one complaint that everybody has about their partner, whether it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband or wife, is that the partner won't have sex with me. That easily beats the second one, which is my, my partner won't text me back. And there are twice as many complaints that a boyfriend won't have sex with me than a girlfriend won't have sex with me. What? Yeah, which doesn't mean that there's... Actually, it's super believable to me right now. Which which doesn't mean that there are twice as many boyfriends withholding sex. It may be because women think that men want sex all the time. It's more of a shock to the system and uh, like a cause for insecurity, so... Another interpretation for that Google disparity is that maybe more women are Googling this about their boyfriends because you're afraid to tell your friends. So at this point in the interview, I was thinking about how Seth is also single. So I went a bit off the book and just asked him my favorite general question to ask other single people. What's your dating app? Are you on one? I use The League. I've had mo most success with that. Coffee meets bagel. Okay, Cupid. I like in-person better, though. I've kinda, I kind of—I don't really like these dating apps. How do you pull off in-person? Like a party or something. I do better there. I'm, I'm losing faith in, in the ability of these dating apps to work. Do you think video dating would solve it? That was an idea that came up last week. Possibly. I was just watching this philosopher, and he was saying why online dating is horrible. And his idea, I don't, I don't really necessarily agree with this, but that you're in online dating, you're trying to make yourself look as perfect as possible. And what people really fall for is, like, imperfection. So, like, the kind of quirky, cute, like, mistakes that people make. And online dating doesn't really allow that. And it kind of forces people to look for perfection because, like, you think that if someone's not perfect, then there's something wrong with them because everyone else is trying to make themselves look as good as possible. So, it like, kind of kills the whole process. I'm not sure I agree with it, but I thought it was kind of interesting. All right, so we're going to pull over the car from Interview Road and go on a bit of a tangent here. But the philosopher he's thinking of is Slavo Žižek. He's the funny Slovenian Marxist intellectual, one of the most popular anti-capitalist philosophers out there. And he talks about this idea of perfection in online dating in a video for The Big Think. You cannot ever fall in love with a perfect person. There must be some tiny, small, disturbing element, and it is only through noticing this element that you say, but in spite of that imperfection, I love him or her. And then comes my favorite part of the video. And uh, now let me tell you a totally crazy personal experience, which uh, happened to me. And in this story, he meets a woman at a party in a Latin American country. He doesn't say which one. She's very attractive, late 30s. When her last lover saw her naked before making love, that he told her, if you were just to lose three, four pounds, your body would have been perfect. And I told her, just don't lose three or four pounds. Because, you know, like if she were effectively to lose three or four pounds, she wouldn't be perfect. She would just be plain. The illusion of perfection is created 
precisely by this excess. It's too much, but then you imagine, oh, without this, it would have been perfect. If you say, if you take away this excess, you don't get perfection. You know, this is what in psychoanalytic theory we call object cause of desire. I googled this philosophical idea for a while, and I ended up at a lot of philosophy websites. And that term is object cause of desire. And it's the idea that when we construct our fantasy version of reality, we're establishing the coordinates for our desire. So we situate both ourselves and our object of desire, as well as the relation between the two. So for the male lover in the story, he has this idea of a perfect body. And it's only through his interaction with her imperfect body that he really understands his fantasy. What we desire doesn't always correspond to something real. It can be the lack that keeps us feeling. Like, I want to fall in love with someone and have a family with that person someday. And in this moment, I've never felt further away from that. At the same time, I've never understood my desire for it more strongly. My desire for a fantasy version of reality can be driven by its impossibility. I'm a compulsively honest person. So I, my dating sites initially were very, very mediocre pictures because I didn't want to be misleading. And also, I didn't want to go to a date and have a woman, like, a first response be like, oh, like, you're not, I was expecting better. Like, I wanted to be pleasantly surprised. Oh, like, you're hotter than your photos. Yeah. Whoa. But then I realized that's kind of just a stupid strategy because everyone kind of knows that the, the person's going to be about 30% worse than the picture. So you kind of just have to get in the door uh, and then, like, it's just assumed, okay, you're not going to look as good as you do in the, in the pictures, so... I don't know. I feel like someone who doesn't have a lot of model quality photos that seem super professional. It's like, that's actually cool. You're too busy to do that. I would like to date someone who's too busy to obsess. I didn't know how I didn't know how much energy people put into these profiles. Right. People have professional coaches. It's it's a war out there in New York City. uh, Yeah, it's like uh, I mean, my instinct is just like spend five seconds on this. Like, all right, let's just get some dates. And then if, you know, on a date, you'll see if you like the person. But uh, that's not the normal way people do it. But why would we only spend five minutes on this thing that's going to determine so much of our future success and happiness? No, it's stupid. Yeah, it it makes sense that it should be a ton of energy. It makes sense also that it should be really hard. Like if you want, if you're a desirable man or woman, there's a big competition to be with you, right? And it should be hard difficult it's it's kind of like someone who wants to be like rich and, and famous without like working hard or something or like wants to do really well in dating without working hard you can't really do that because someone's going to just work harder and be better at it than you all right seth stevens davidowitz is the author of everybody lies big data new data and what the internet can tell us about who we really are thank you so much for coming on yoy yeah thanks for having me andrew as we left the studio I told my guest that he did a great job. I hope you believe me. I'm going to try to get my book. Malcolm Gladwell is in the door next door to us. I'm going to try to get my book in his hands. Our show is produced by me, Andrea Salenzi, with Lindsay Cradwell. Our editor is Hilary Frank. Our artwork changes every week thanks to Teddy Blanks at Chips.NYC. Our theme music is by Andy Miklas, Casey Holford, Lee Rosevear, and Evan Viola. Special thanks to Mia Lobel and Andy Bowers at Panoply. 
Now, I just want to take a moment before our show wraps up to do a comprehensive roundup of things you might not know about what we're doing, ways you can connect, ways you can be involved. One idea is our personal ads for podcast lovers. These are old-fashioned, written-out personal ads that we've been doing on our website. So go there and submit your own. That's yoyradio.com. Those also show up in our newsletter where we try to tell you something kind of behind the scenes, share some photos, and you can also subscribe to that on our website, yyradio.com. Also, every week, 10 newsletter subscribers get a coaster in the mail. We have these custom-made coasters from the artist Liana Fink. They are so pretty, and we're sending them out for free every week. So go subscribe. Also, I am tweeting and Instagramming every day for my actual real dating life, and that's at my full name, Andrea Salenzi. We also have a Facebook page for YOY, and if you follow us there every day, we're sharing different articles and things we find interesting about feminism and dating. And we have a contact form on our website. If there is something that you feel like is really missing from this show, we'd love for you to fill that out and tell us. So please do that. I'm always looking for ideas. And one last idea for you. If you like the show, please go to Apple Podcasts and write us a review. It really helps other people find what we're doing. Next time on YOY, we have a really special episode for you. The famous philosopher Slavlov Zizek is going to describe to me his dream date. My idea of a perfect date is the following one. She comes with her plastic penis, electric dildo. I come with some horrible thing. I saw it. It's called stimulating training unit, whatever. It's basically a plastic vagina. <laughs>